Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Actually, why don't we get into his word? Open your Bibles and get to Luke chapter 24. While you're turning there, I want to get to know you guys a little bit. If you were there when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech, raise your hand. I mean, not, not there. If you witnessed it. I mean, witnessed it. I mean, you can see now TV was around, right? I mean, TV was around. I didn't get to see, okay, there's a few of you in the room. How about, were you there, let's say, when man landed on the moon? You watched that take place. Yeah, some of you, all right. I was born in 1980, so I missed some of those things. Some of the greatest moments in human history, I was just late for, right? I wasn't quite there for. How many of you there when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door? No one, no one was there. You know, there's some moments in history where I wish I could have been like an eyewitness to. I wish I could have been there in the flesh or at least been able to watch it on television sitting around the TV with my family. If I had a time machine, and how many times have you guys wondered, if I only had a time machine, right? But if I had a time machine, I would like to go back and check out those times, those places, those events. But if I had a time machine... The event that I would most want to witness is what we're going to read in Luke chapter 24 this morning. And just to let you know, it isn't the Last Supper, that moment where Jesus gathered with his disciples for the last meal and he washes their feet. It's not that moment. It's not the moment in the garden when Jesus is sweating drops of blood and he's approached by the chief priest's guards and he's taken captive. It's not that moment. It's not the moments of his trial as he stands before the chief priest and before Herod and before Pilate, it's not those moments. It's not even Jesus hanging upon a cross, giving his life, yelling to Telestai as the earth would shake and the veil would rent and the darkness would cover the land. It's not that moment. It's not even the moment when the earth would rattle and the stone would be rolled away and there's an empty tomb. Believe it or not, it's not even that moment. The moment that I would long to be able to be a part of and to be an eyewitness to more than any moment in human history is what we're going to read this morning in Luke chapter 24. It's a moment that I like to call on the road of doubt. And we're gonna read about two disciples and we don't really know too much about these disciples. We don't know if they followed Jesus from a distance or if they were really tight knit. We know that they probably weren't a part of the 12 or they would have been named, but they're from a distance. They're witnessing what has happened. They were in Jerusalem during the Passover season. They saw these events. They at least had heard about what had happened at the Last Supper, the trial, the crucifixion, and maybe even they had heard, and we're gonna see, they had heard rumors about the resurrection, but they hadn't experienced it as an eyewitness. It didn't hit home just to that degree just yet. And it's to these disciples who are on this road filled with doubt, filled with dread, filled with loss. They're grieving, they're mourning because their hero was taken from them, that Jesus appears to them and they don't even get it just yet. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles 
from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of the things which had happened, everything that had happened during this Passover season as Jerusalem was swelled with pilgrims coming to worship, bringing their lambs for the slaughter, bringing their sacrifice so that their sins could be covered. In the midst of this, Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes and he goes to a cross offering himself as the Lamb to cover all of our sins. They're describing this, they're recounting this, they're telling this story to one another, right? They're reminding each other of what has just happened. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he says to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? What are you talking about? What's on your heart? What are you struggling with? What is this that I hear? Why this dread? And look at it, it actually says here, read on, it says, and they stood still looking sad. Jesus comes, they don't recognize who it is. What's going on? What are you talking about? What's on your heart? And they just stand there looking sad. The word means gloomy. It means downtrodden. It means defeated. They had this defeated look on their faces. There's dread in their hearts. There's doubt that has crept in. They experienced the highest of highs. They were at the height they were so excited about what was maybe going to happen when Jesus, this teacher that they'd been following, came to Jerusalem during the season for this hour. But now their hearts are filled with dread and with doubt, and they stand there looking sad and defeated. And Jesus, it goes on, look at this, it says verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor in all of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Jesus says, what things? Tell me what it is that you're talking about. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all of the people. We're talking about Jesus, a prophet who is mighty in word and in deed. And let me pause there just for a moment because it's important that we recognize that, especially on this day on Resurrection Sunday. It's important that we discuss this for a moment. Because here these two men are who are filled with doubt, who are filled with fear, who are looking defeated, and they say, we're talking about Jesus, a prophet. One who was sent with a message from God. They did not say we're talking about Jesus, the Lord and Savior of our life. It's not enough to recognize and declare Jesus a prophet. Declaring Jesus a prophet will not get you to heaven. You have to make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. That's what gets you to heaven. Even the other religions of the world consider Jesus, his teachings, very appropriate that we should follow Jesus' teachings. Even Islam, even Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet sent by God, but he was not Savior. He is not God in human flesh. He says, we're talking about the mighty prophet, mighty in word and in deed, who we believe was sent by the Lord, yes, but they haven't yet gotten to that point in their hearts where they confess him as Lord and his Savior. Look at this. He says this, it goes on verse 20. They're explaining further, and how our chief priests, our rulers, they delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that this was the one. We had hoped that this was the one who would fulfill the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, that he was sent, there will be another prophet who would be sent by God, and you'll listen to him, you'll follow after him. We were hoping that this was the one that our Hebrew scriptures had said would come who would deliver us from oppression. We were hoping he was the one, but they were sad. Why were they sad? 
because Jesus didn't come and do exactly what they wanted. Why do I say that? Because these men were waiting for a political deliverer to come. They were waiting for someone to come and to free them from Roman oppression, to drive the Romans out of their temple, to drive the Romans out of Jerusalem, to drive the Romans out of Israel, to give Israel the promised land back to the children of Israel, back to the Hebrew people, to reinstitute proper temple worship without having the guards of the Romans around. Right? This is what they wanted, and Jesus comes, and he didn't come to deliver them politically or nationally or to free them from bondage in that sense. He came to deliver them spiritually, to set them free from sin. But they were so distracted by what was happening politically, by what was happening on a national level, that they missed the spiritual savior of the world. And I hope that this sinks in for just a moment with you. Because if it happened when Jesus was there in human flesh 2,000 years ago, do you think that the enemy can't do the same thing and deceive us today? And we're so consumed politically, and we're so consumed about what's happening on a national level, and what's happening between blue and white, and liberal and conservative, that we're consumed with these things, and we want a deliverer who will put America back to where we believe America should be. Well, I'm here to tell you, maybe America needs to crumble to the ground so that the Savior can be seen. They were frustrated, they were sad. He disappointed us. He didn't come through. He didn't do what we thought he was going to do. We had hoped. The word hope there isn't just wishful thinking. The word hope there could be translated convinced. We were convinced that he was the one who would redeem, who would deliver, who would liberate Israel. But he didn't do it. We were convinced. Look at what they follow this up with. I really want to drive this home. We were convinced he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. The third day is so important throughout the scriptures. And we're gonna see just how important this morning. But when Jesus was approached and he was asked by the religious leaders, show us a sign. Then we'll deliver you. Show us a sign. Then we'll believe. Jesus said, in three days, I will tear down this temple and rebuild it. And they said, what do you mean? It took 46 years to build our temple, the place where we go to worship. And you say you're going to tear it down and rebuild it in three days? You're out of your mind. And the scripture says that he was explaining this was concerning his body. You go a little further and more, they come to him. Jesus, show us a sign. This is after he's multiplied food and he's fed thousands with a few loaves and a few fishes. And, and the people are just amazed. How can this possibly happen? And they come and they say, Jesus, show us another sign. We want to see more. And Jesus says, there's one sign that I will show you. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, so too will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. That's the only sign that you'll get. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You want a sign? Look to the prophet Jonah. See how he was there for three days and three nights, but then he was spit out from the great fish. He was taken out of the earth, so to speak. That's the only sign you're going to receive. You see, these people, they knew Jesus' teachings. These disciples, they knew Jesus' teachings, right? They should have been ready for the third day, but still in that moment, their heart was filled with dread and with fear, and with doubt. Think about this just for a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of the apostle Peter. Imagine 
walking with Jesus for all of those years, sitting under his teaching for all of those years, watching so many people being touched and healed and delivered and set free. Imagine this, and you put all of your hope and all of your desires in this one man, and you feel like this one man is going to be the man who's going to set things right, who's going to restore the prominence of the nation of Israel. And so you follow this man with all of your heart. And at one time, Jesus says to Peter, there's going to come a day where you will deny me before many. And Peter's like, you have no idea. I will follow you even to death. There's no way that I would deny you. But then put yourself in his shoes. And there he witnesses in the garden, Jesus dripping sweat, blood mixed with sweat. He's he's so stressed out that he's literally sweating drops of blood. And the guards from the priest, they approach. And Peter gets up from his place. He pulls out his sword and he chops off Malchus's ear. And Jesus arises from his place of prayer. He arises, he goes to where they're at. He even kisses Judas, the traitor, on the cheek. And he says, this is not going to happen. This is not the time to fight. He heals Malchus's ear. Imagine the frustration that would have been in Peter. Peter was thinking, I thought we were going to fight. Imagine the disappointment as he sees Jesus being led off. And he follows from a distance, just kind of keeping an eye on what's happening in the surroundings, just trying to keep a tab, a pulse on what's going on. And he watches as Jesus stands before the high priest, and he doesn't open his mouth with any accusation. Jesus just remains silent. Jesus, why aren't you explaining what you're here for? Jesus, why aren't you defending us? Jesus, why are you just sitting there doing nothing? The discouragement just rolls in. I thought we were going to fight. You won't even talk. Imagine being in Peter's shoes as he watches Jesus being led away. He's being mocked. They're spitting upon him. He has a blindfold or a bag over his head, and they're beating him with their fists, and they're mocking him, saying, if you're a prophet, then prophesy. Tell us which one of us hits you. Imagine him watching as they lead Jesus to be scourged, whipped 39 times with the cat of nine tails, a whip of leather embedded with glass and with stone that his back would have been torn to shreds. And Jesus the whole time remained silent. Imagine the disappointment, the discouragement, the despair in Peter. I thought you were going to deliver us. Imagine the disappointment when he comes forward and they thrust a crown of thorns upon his brow and they bow in mockingness, just mockery, just, oh, hail King Jesus, and they're bowing before him with a robe, a purple robe, a royal robe, and a crown of thorns. Imagine how that disappointment would set in is finally he sees Jesus collapse under the weight of the cross and they have to bring in Simon of Cyrene to carry it the rest of the way to Golgotha. Jesus there hanging upon a cross, Peter possibly watching from a distance. Aren't you going to do anything? I thought you were the one. I thought you were going to deliver me. Imagine the discouragement during the midst of this when Peter actually does deny the Lord. Why? Not just because he's embarrassed, but because I believe he's at that place in his heart where he's watched so much transpire in this event, in the events leading up to the cross, so much happen that he really, in those moments, he doubts whether or not Jesus was the one that God had sent. And so, yes, he denies the Christ. Maybe you aren't who I thought you were after all because you didn't show up for me the way you were supposed to. 
I wonder if that might be where your heart is today, where you're doubting, where you're on this road of doubt yourself, this road of despair. You believed that God was supposed to show up for you. You believed that Jesus was supposed to show up for you, but you know what? You haven't been able to overcome your addiction just yet. You know what, your marriage hasn't been restored the way you thought it should be. You haven't been reconciled to your children. You haven't gotten that promotion. You haven't had that provision. And whatever the case may be, you look to Jesus today and in your heart, there's a little bit of wavering and a little bit of doubt and it might as well have been you on the road to Emmaus that day. Why? Because Jesus didn't do exactly what you wanted him to do. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus came it's not to do exactly what you wanted him to do, but to do what you needed him to do. Yes. And you needed him to go to a cross. And you needed him to rise up from that grave. And he came and he did exactly that because that's what you most needed. Listen, back here in this text, Luke chapter 24, look at this with me. We thought he was the one. And besides that, now's the third day since these things were happening. He said something would happen the third day. And we're still waiting for the third day. Moreover, some women of our company, verse 22, amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that we had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went out to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He says, you haven't really truly been students of the word. The word has testified that this was going to happen. You should have been prepared for this. Should not the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, have suffered all of these things to fulfill the scriptures? Listen to what Jesus would say in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. You search the scriptures, speaking to the religious people. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you could have life. The word testifies to me. That word refuse means there's no desire for. In essence, what Jesus is saying is you desire your religion and your religious activities more than you desire me, the Messiah. The scripture has told you that I would come, but you desire your religion and your religious activity more than you desire me. In Hebrews chapter 10, it would say that the Messiah would say that when he comes, that he would say that in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, to complete it, to be the cherry on top, the icing on the cake. This is why I've come for this purpose, I have come. Now, listen to this, verse 27, Luke chapter 24, and this is why. I say that if there's one moment in this life or in this world where I could go to if I had a time machine, it would be to this moment right here. Because look at how amazing this is. Imagine being these two disciples in this moment. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all through the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things the scriptures were there concerning himself. He interpreted the Old Testament scripture, the law and the prophets, things that were pointing to the fact that Jesus would come. This must have been the most amazing Bible study ever. And this is where I would wanna be. 
I would want to be in that moment just like Mary, seated at the feet of Jesus, soaking in every single word, desiring that better portion, where the Lord himself, Jesus himself, would open up, he would go to the scriptures, and he would say, can't you see all throughout the scripture, this has been pointing to me. God's word has been preparing you for this moment, but you've missed it because I didn't do it what you wanted me to do, but I came to do what you needed me to do. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, towards the back of your Bible, just a few verses, and we're gonna look at just four verses from this text as a launching pad. It says this, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse one, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The word gospel is euangelion in the Greek. It means good news. At its roots, it's the picture, it's a word picture of a soap salesman Imagine in these days where there wasn't really proper bathing, you couldn't go in and shower, but a soap salesman would go from city to city and he would bring good news that I have soap to sell you. You don't have to live in your stench any longer. I'm here to deliver you from that stench. That's the roots of this word gospel. The one who was a soap salesman who would come in and deliver the soap to cleanse the people, to purify the people, to make them clean and, and to make them smell better. You don't have to live in that stench. Here, look at Paul says, now I would remind you brothers of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you were all being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That word vain means empty. That word vain means useless. And in a room this size, people watching from home, there are some of you this morning whose faith is useless. It's empty. It's not real. You believe in God when you need something from God. You treat God like a genie in a bottle. You treat God as someone that is there to meet your needs, not someone that you're there to bring your worship to. Your faith is in vain and useless. Pastor Walter mentioned this text, and let me just read it to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, then we're all worshiping for no good reason at all. We're still dead in our trespasses and our sins. The guilt of our own sin is still upon us. We are still worthy of death. But if Christ is risen as proof of the accepted sacrifice upon the cross, that the penalty, the debt has been paid, if Christ has been risen as a proof of the reception of that payment, then we worship for real. When we worship is legit, then our worship means something. It matters if there's an empty tomb, you see. Now look at what Paul does here. He says, verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The Bible has told you that the Christ would come and would die. And if you're a student of the word, you can go through and you can read your word and you'll see very clearly how there are verses throughout the Old Testament that clearly state that the Christ would come, that Jesus would come and would die upon a cross. I'm gonna to read to you just a few. You can write this down. I don't want you to turn there just for sake of time. But in Psalm chapter 22, the psalmist writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who else said this? 
Jesus said this upon the cross, right? The prophet here in this case, David is writing this and he's saying, listen, listen, this is going to happen again later. And when this happens, you need to take note. God's word is telling us 1100 years before the cross, exactly what is going to happen. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.